This is episode 131 of Alohomora for April 4th, 2015. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Alohomora. I am Eric Skull. I am Kat Miller. And I am Rosie Morris. <laughs> and it is my absolute pleasure to introduce today's special guest, Melinda Salisbury. Melinda, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yes, I will do. Um, I'm Melinda. I live in the UK, and I am the author of Sinita's Daughter, which came out in the UK on February the 5th, and in the US and Australia on February the 25th. Or four. Yay. Nice. Yeah. So, new author. Yeah. That's got to be scary. It's terrifying. I've never had such anxiety. <laughs> I have a friend who read the book and she loved it. So, I just it, figured it, I'd pass it on. From what I can gather, it's quite a polarizing book because I, I, I played the game a bit differently. Um, not on purpose. I wasn't trying to be a special snowflake. But what I've done <laughs> is um, I, I've, got, I've, I've done things a bit differently to how the other children do it. So, um, yeah, but um, like, people either love it or good. hate it. It's like Marmite. So I love the people that love it, and I'm ignoring all the people that hate it. <laughs> that's that's the way. That's what you've got to do. They don't exist. And so you're a Slytherin. I am. Yes. <laughs> Which yeah, probably I, explains I the polarizing effect of my work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a book written by a Slytherin. Oh, heck no. I think that's it. It's House Prejudice. They haven't even read the book. They've just I, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm interested in reading it. Heck. Yeah. I, I span, as someone who kind of has feet in both houses, um, although not Slytherin, admittedly, just the good houses. But no, I, I get it. I don't have any House Prejudice. No. So that's super exciting. <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll ask you more about your book, I think, at the close of the episode. Sure. Brilliant. Yes. And in the meantime, yes. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, we need to encourage you all to go and read Half Blood Prince chapter thirteen, which is the secret riddle. That is the chapter we will be discussing this week. So make sure you have read it before this episode progresses. I love the book at this point. Each chapter that exists in this part of the book is just amazing, and contains a lot of hearty and rich detail. Uh, speaking of. The previous chapter, which we discussed on last week's Alohomora episode, chapter 12, got some feedback through our website and our forums and all of those channels which we relate to you at the end of each show. And some of those comments now have been sourced. Basically, there were uh, a number of discussion threads that came out of last week's talk, and I have picked some of the uh, threads up, and I want to hear... Our thoughts on them. So the first comment from last week's discussion comes from Casey L, who says, Can I ask why Harry thinks at this point that McGonagall, quote, did not invite confidences? She does seem strict, but far from closed off from her students. And then here's some examples. In Sorcerer's Stone, she drops that hint to Harry about his father being a good Quidditch player. In this book, she encourages Neville by bringing up his grandmother and charms. In Chamber of Secrets, when Harry and Ron lie to her about going to the hospital wing to see Hermione, she's immediately sympathetic. And those are just a couple examples that we've seen. Just in the last book, Order of the Phoenix, after Dumbledore has left and Harry sees that planted vision of Sirius and Voldemort, the first person he thinks of going to is McGonagall, and he's stunned that she isn't there. So what has changed from then, Order of the Phoenix, to now, when Harry does not confide in her about Draco immediately? 
What do you guys think? I don't know if anything's necessarily changed. Um, I think he's always been a bit hesitant to actually talk to her about his theories. Like he, he always kind of assumes that she will not necessarily listen um, to the to the bad stuff that he talks about. But um, he would go to her if he thought he had enough proof, perhaps. Um, so you're saying it's more the content of what he has to divulge yeah. that is making him a little hesitant? I think so. Like, she's not the kind of person that has blind faith. Like, she, she likes reason and she likes... Like, she does have some emotional qualities, like, as with that list, they're all very emotional things. Um, mm-hmm. But without that kind of emotional backstory for this particular event, um, I think he would need to have more proof to his theory to, to get her to believe in him. Um, and he knows that, so that's why he doesn't go to her. Right, so his hesitation is basically like, she's another Hermione who is going to say, there's holes yeah. in your in your thought process. Exactly. He's not going based on evidence about this whole Draco thing. He's obsessed with it, and it's, you know, it's sort of detrimental. Yeah. yeah, it's a gut feeling the whole way. Um, so that well, may be why. And neither of those characters, Hermione or McGonagall, are really gut followers. No. So. That's, that's a good point. That's very interesting. And when he does bring it up to McGonagall, she does, um, first of all, she reminds him that that's a heck of an accusation uh, <laughs> to levy against another student, which it is, even though he's right, it is. Um, he's only right. That's just, it's just happenstance that he's right. Um, but uh, anyway, I thought that was a, an interesting discussion there to have briefly. Now we heard uh, a kind of a follow-up comment from the terrible, terrible thing that happened in last week's chapter from Slytherin Knight, who says... How is Katie Bell alive? Exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point, question mark. I mean, <laughs> I know that she didn't really touch the necklace, only through a tiny hole in her glove that made it so the curse on the necklace didn't kill her. But what would have happened if Katie had died? I've been wondering this for a couple days since I reread the chapter before the episode came out. How would the Half-Blood Prince, uh, the book, and Deathly Hallows, the book, been different if Katie had died from the necklace? Would Dumbledore have stepped up and had an investigation into the incident, or would Katie's death have been just another sacrifice for Dumbledore's grand plan, i.e. the greater good? Dumbledore knows that Draco is trying to kill him thanks to Snape, and he knows that Draco is most likely behind what happened to Katie. Ooh. That is so irresponsible of Dumbledore, though, knowing all of this and... And letting Draco loose. I, I got really cross with Dumbledore in book six, actually, because he just becomes incredibly cavalier with other people's lives. Um, he does, doesn't he? Of course, he would have had to have um, held an investigation over it. And the fact that there wasn't one anyway um, is testament to how mad the wizarding world is at times. Definitely. Yeah, he he's pretty terrible in this book. Um, just for the fact that he does let Draco go on for so long. You know? Yeah. Um, the trail of destruction that Draco leads <laughs> in in his in his attempts to kill him. It's weird because it's hidden. It's all hidden behind the fact that Snape will die if he, you know, kind of moves forward, acts in a way that's against Draco. Uh, I think the, the the unbreakable vow is quite restrictive for on both Snape and Dumbledore's actions in this book. So there is that flaw where people like Katie Bell are turning up nearly dead, heavily cursed. But I'm not quite sure what can be done because the second that uh, Dumbledore even would move to stop Draco, 
that's when Snape's unbreakable vow, the terms that say, if he's going to fail, you have to step in, you know, kind of become important, and Snape would almost immediately have to kill Dumbledore if Dumbledore tried to apprehend Draco about his crimes. I do think that no matter what happened, we were going to end up at the same place. Yeah. Um, because of what you just said, because of the unbreakable vow. Unfortunately, Snape was going to end up killing Dumbledore no matter what happened. But in this case, Harry just wouldn't have learned as much um, before his death. I don't know if it necessarily would have been a whole lot sooner. I think that probably if Katie had passed away, there would have been an investigation. What would they have found out? Dumbledore would have covered it up. I, I think I think that's probably exactly right. Um, people like McGonagall are not being told of this whole thing. I mean, Dumbledore right. very clearly knows what Draco is going to be doing this whole school year. Uh huh. Exactly. And he doesn't so. seem to alert his staff to it. Right. Um, we see him in this coming chapter just bury the information. But anyway, back to the comments. Uh, you know, there was a great discussion about how in Chamber of Secrets the school actually closed for a year after who we had later learned to be Myrtle. Um, died, and some very interesting differences uh, were pointed out by people like, uh, how am I going to translate this? They say, the difference between the two examples is that in COS, they didn't know what attacked the students, so closing the school because the place is unsafe would be common sense. If Katie had died, Dumbledore knew who was responsible. Closing the school would have worked to make sure that no other students were harmed, but then Draco would have been sent home too, making his mission more difficult. I think instead of closing the school, Dumbledore would have grabbed Draco and brought him and Snape to a safe place to make sure that both of them are safe from Voldemort's revenge and from the Unbreakable Vow, and make sure that his info on the Horcruxes is not lost. Dumbledore would have crammed all the relevant facts into a thought thread, and the thought thread into a flask, and the flask <laughs> in Snape's hand to bring to Harry. Draco would get to kill Dumbledore, and if he doesn't do it, Snape can. So I think that's a little bit of a plaus- uh, an implausible trail end of, you know, just kind of trying not to die. Uh, but at the same time, uh, it was a good point about Moaning Myrtle, where closing the school was kind of a drastic measure to protect anyone when you didn't know what was causing the attacks. That comment was so a a leaf on the branch and the branch on the tree and the tree in the hole and the hole <laughs> right. in the ground you, you've moment. got it you've got to <laughs> take the memory here and because harry needs the learning is the other thing i mean we were just talking about this but like harry needs to know about the horcruxes and, and dumbledore claims to not know for sure until they all reach that conclusion after witnessing the uh slughorn's proper memory but but does dumbledore uh, need to be alive for him to do that learning could yeah, Dumbledore's basically. portrait have given all of that learning to Harry as well? Not all of it, because um, I'm not sure. I don't. I, I'm, I've always wondered. No, that can't be true. Um, I don't know if they'd be able to go into all the memories. If yeah, Dumbledore himself wouldn't have been able to travel into the memories, but could Dumbledore's portrait have said, "Harry, take that flask over there, pour it into the pensive, go and have a look around, then come out and talk to me." <laughs> it's it's possible Probably. i mean you don't you just don't know what kind of backup plan Dumb- i mean dumbledore found out pretty much at the beginning of this year that he was going to be targeted that he was uh, targeted by voldemort yeah. and voldemort is pretty much going to succeed he resigned his own self to die by the end of the year and it's it's shocking that you know to think that the learning wouldn't be available if draco had by some mishap actually succeeded sooner than he does see dumbledore and i have issues <laughs> and just this is only going to get worse as this book progresses um, but this whole idea that, you know, he's being so cavalier with, with Katie's um, attack um, and being so cavalier with 
like not preparing enough um, that and um, being kind of arrogant that he thinks that, you know, Draco and Snape couldn't kill him earlier than he has planned. Um, and, you know, if he had been killed earlier, there's, there would be a lot of issues going on in the wizarding <laughs> world because he hasn't given enough information away. He's Ain't nobody getting into that cave without exactly. Dumbledore. <laughs> Nobody's able to get in there without him. But I don't they think don't he knows about the magic. cave yet. I think he hasn't quite worked that out yet. And that's why it takes them yeah. so long to, to go and, and find that um, locket. Um, mm. But there is a lot of information that he could still be giving that he's still not not quite saying enough. Um, and as we'll see in this chapter, he's he's still being that kind of oh I'll tell you about that later, Harry. When he should just mm. tell him now. <laughs> tell him I now. agree. I agree. He's so controlling and so almost Machiavellian in the way that he yes. will, like reveal information. It's it, it like as you said, it's it's so arrogant. Like. I have a lot of bees in my bonnet about a lot of Dumbledore's behaviour over the years. But, yeah, this is... Like, how many children could have would have been hurt before Dumbledore decided actually to, to be honest and upfront? Like, how many children would it have taken before he yeah. um, perhaps realised that his plan wasn't working to the best of um, the best of its abilities? Like, he I'm got like, lucky that, um, that Katie didn't die. That was dumb luck that she didn't pick it up with her hand. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah. And then we well, run as well later on. Yeah. Just Gosh, Harry would have never <laughs> forgiven Dumbledore. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What would have happened if Ron had actually died? But we'll get to that later. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> oh a lighter, lighter subject. Hufflepug brought up uh, a discussion that we, that was on the last episode of Lohamora about spell yeah. writing, which was mm-hmm. kind of a fun bit of last week's episode. I listened and I really liked it. Uh, Hufflepug says, I, w- I just want to carry on the spell writing conversation because it's so interesting and mysterious. Why is Latin such a magical language? Do you think in other cultures their respective classical languages are what they use for magic? Would a wizard witch in China use Latin for spells? Were the ancient Romans so powerful because they were a big society of wizards and witches, and that's why they use Latin? If you could try really hard, could you write a spell in English or any other language? Do you truly create spells, or do you experiment to discover ones that do exist but just have never been used? Obviously, these questions are unanswerable in the canon, but I just want to see what your best fan fiction minds have to say about it. <laughs> so, uh, Kat, you were not on this episode last week. Melinda, you were not. I was not. What do we think? Uh, and, and and Rosie as well, but I think you already said your bit too last week. But what do we think about where spells come from? You know, the spells that are clearly... Be, uh, wizards are being credited as inventing them, like Snape in the last chapter was Levy Corpus and um, Muffliato. I am going to equate this to novels and movies and pretty much everything else in the world. Um, Inspiration comes from everywhere, and I feel like there are very few things in the world that are actually new. So I'm not sure that anybody ever really invents something that's totally brand new and different and amazing. Um, I think that everything comes from everywhere else. I would agree with that. That is a very roundabout answer to the question, but that's what I'm sticking oh, to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I think as far as the language thing um, goes, it, it makes absolute sense that um, Latin would be the language because it's one of it's an old language. It's the original language. When magic must surely predate language, um, certainly in the terms that we would know it as. So, I I would fully expect that um, in Chinese culture would it would be in the ancient version of Chinese, and so on. And um, I suppose. As far as magic predating, well, not being something people can create, spells not being created, that also makes sense 
in terms of the raw ingredients are there, but you have to find a way to put them together. So like chemistry, um, obviously all the elements have always existed, but you have to combine mm -hmm. them in a certain way to create right. um, the, the chemical reaction. I, th I suspect um, in, in my fan fiction canon, that's how spells are created. It's just recombining old elements to create a new thing. Hufflepuffskeen uh, said it best in a comment that I'm going to read here, kind of uh, really took the two kind of chains of thought and merged them. Uh, they said, I love this topic too and was really intrigued with Jessica's and Rosie's thoughts about putting combos of words out into the magical universe and seeing what you get back until you get back what you want. Uh, Hufflepuffskeen writes, I would call Jessica's theory of spell creation the potentiality theory, whereby... Uh, one experiments and discovers the potential that is already out there in the magical universe and creates or determines the words that harness that potentiality. I suggest that Rosie's option is the agency theory. Perhaps instead of an all-encompassing and already full intact potentiality of magic, new magic or new spells are produced through the agency of the magical individuals who attempt creation. So Snape, for example, finds words that make sense to him to create a desired effect, such as levitating a body, and through the magical power as part of his genetic ability can add potential to the magical universe that once created other wizards can tap into if they know the right words so his scratching outwards in his textbook as seen in the chapter may reflect his search for the right words that the universe needs to hear to unlock the magical potential he is trying to use or his search may be a more agentive personal search for the exact physical emotional and sensory thing he wants to do and how he wants to unfold it magically can we give hufflepuff skin like a phd in magical yeah i, theories? Yeah. I want to go to phd their, their achieved <laughs> yeah this is this is it's a bit like uh this this theory reminds me of what jk rowling herself said about potions where um in addition to the magical ingredients that muggles just can't procure there is some form of wand waving that is required in all potion making and so muggles the question i think we doted on for a while is whether or not muggles could make potions if they had the ingredients set before them but joe just said no it takes that magical a person with magical blood to wave a wand and make it actually a magical potion so for me it's like spells in that way where it's like a magical person has to mutter these words has to uh give uh, energy and power into these words and, and kind of pull them out of the ether in order and to make them into a, a thing. So um, potions without magic is soup. Right. <laughs> and, and, well, dangerous soup and, too. Yeah, That's, I, I can't, I don't remember where the exact quote was, but yeah, she said it would, it can kill people. <laughs> right. And, and so that would make spells without magic. Just what? Gibberish. Going back to Latin, though, uh, and this was part of my, my favorite part about last week's discussion, but Snape Cracklepop expands uh, this <laughs> line of thinking. That's a pretty good name. I, 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 love, I, I love our usernames, uh, or users' usernames. Uh, because Latin is so ancient, it makes sense to me that it would somehow have inherent magical properties. Latin wasn't one of the first languages, though. I wonder if that's true. So I wonder if the Wizarding World had a hand in the development of Latin 
as it started to become a standard language, my theory is that it was a way of bridging the gap between even older Muggle and wizard languages so that wizards didn't have to learn multiple languages. Latin was the best of both worlds, it incorporated the magical properties of more ancient magical languages, while being a universal language across a growing empire of Muggles and wizards. So get this, when a bunch of uh, Greeks or Romans or ancient people are sitting down making the Latin language, half of them or more than half are wizards, and they're able to input, uh, create words that, or, or basically root words and root uh, phrases and uh, prefixes and suffixes that already have something to do with evoking magic. What do you guys think? I really love this idea, but only because, and sorry to get a bit theological, because later obviously the church had quite the monopoly on Latin, and I quite like the idea that they've tried to steal this language from wizards to usurp Ooh. magical power and <laughs> insert it into the church. Mel, you know who else would like, please? Sure, <laughs> yes. on it. You, you know who else would really like? I think Joe would really like that theory. Yes, actually. I love that theory. Yeah, that theory so. made me sit up and go a bit tingly. Like that's um, <laughs> wow. Yeah, I that makes a really perfect good sense to me. Geeky language one to do now, if I can go on that train again. Um, of course, okay. always. So if we put down Harry Potter for a second, sorry everyone. But trust me. Um, uh, I, I would, Rosie, but it's glued to my hand. I did okay. this a long time ago. It's not pleasant. <laughs> well, at least close the book. It's fine. Um, All right. What is the, the magical word that you would use if you were going to cast a spell, just from general knowledge? What do you mean? Like English words? Gonna, or? Just uh, any word that you think is a very magical word that you're going to use as your spell casting word. Abracadabra. Exactly. Perfect. Good. Okay. So abracadabra um, is a Latin word. It's, it's from late Latin. Um, and it is kind of used as a, a healing charm or a magical spell. And it's from um, the, the kind of definition of it comes from about the 16th century. Um, but the, the origins of it come from before Latin, um, from Aramaic and Hebrew terms um, for avda kadavara, uh, or something like that, I can't remember how you pronounce it, which is getting closer to avda kadavra. Um, right, dead body. I heard, dead body, I heard yeah. the cadaver, I heard that in there. Yes. Yeah. Um, but the, the original Aramaic or Hebrew, um, are things that are like, um, what has said has come to pass, um, something like that. So there's, there's definitely kind of older than Latin words in there, um, that form Latin, which could form this magical language and suggest that, especially with Vada Kedavra as our main, um, killing curse, that magic definitely predates Latin, um, and has possibly been used to form it. So I really like Gosh, what if I had said open sesame? Now then now do what you no. just said, but with open sesame. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> no, okay, all right. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really And why cool. aren't you in Ravenclaw, young lady? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know why. Because she's fun. with me. I Hufflepuff know. has more fun. Uh, but that, uh, there were, again, a lot of comments, and we're always uh, thrilled to receive such great comments on our discussion. Those were just the ones that I summoned for this week's discussion. But uh, you can check them all out, as always, infinitely, until the internet dies, uh, over on our forums and our website, alohomore.mugglenet.com. But before we get into the chapter, we're going to go into our podcast question of the week responses from last week. So I was listening to the episode and I was like, okay, what's the question going to be? What's it going to be? Because, you know, sometimes, you know, we pick one out of left field or it's something that we've talked about but didn't really touch on a lot. This one, I was like, whoa, love it. It's a really good question. It's a big, it is a very big one. So to remind everybody of the question, 
With her usual air of mystery, Rowling has previously spoken of plot points that were moved from Chamber of Secrets to Half-Blood Prince, evading a definitive explanation of exactly what those plot points were. What do you think Rowling removed from book two and placed in book six? Was it Horcruxes? Was it something else? Was the ring composition of the books a result of these readjustments, or did the changes in story better serve an intentional attempt at ring composition by Rowling? That's a big question. We had a lot of amazing responses. I could spend four hours talking about this, but I picked, (laughs) I think, some some very good ones here. So our first one is from Casey L. I think the picture was a girl. So I'm going to say she says, if not, and you're a man, I apologize. It says, I wonder if it's not necessarily, no, I wonder if it's not necessarily the horcruxes themselves, but more information about some of the objects that were used as horcruxes, the locket, the cup, and the diadem. We learn much of what we know about the history of Hogwarts in Chamber of Secrets. We learn that the sorting hat and the sword both belong to Godric Gryffindor, and we learn that the Chamber of Secrets was built by Salazar Slytherin is indeed real. It seems possible to me that J.K. Rowling could have considered putting even more about the founders in Chamber as well, and then decided that those details were superfluous to the story at that point, unless she planned on dropping the information on the Horcruxes, too. Given these books seem ideally geared at a younger audience than the later ones, that might have made for too heavy of a story so early on. I agree. There's a lot of detail that could have been given about the founders in that book that would have just been kind of boring history to a 12-year-old, so... No, I remember loving the uh, stuff about the founders in, in book two, but I'm sure if there were any more of it, like a page more of it, I would have found it boring. Um, <laughs> See, the the problem with this comment is that they assume that only 12-year-olds are reading the book. Yeah, that's that's flawed, but I think you can just kind of point time, out. at the time, yeah. they, you know, 12-year-olds were the ones that were meant to be reading the books. They didn't actually expect adults to be reading them. It was before the hype for Chamber yeah. of Secrets, at least. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know how it works with the US copies, but in the UK copies, there are little testaments from um, like 10, 9, 10, 11, even 12 year olds that based on book one. So it was very much geared, certainly in the UK, towards um, that pre YA audience. Really? They have testimonials from young yeah, children? Tiny, um, in the early ones. Yeah, little paragraphs of people going, I thought this is the best book ever. And we're all at home thinking, yeah, you're right, it is. <laughs> except except they don't have chapter images or table of contents or anything nope. that we love which yes. we're, all about, words, stupid, we're all about the words we don't yeah. need anything else yeah but right. things like chapter art i would have thought would be more geared towards a children audience a, uh, a young audience so it's interesting right. that you know they have those in the american books yeah americans are stupid <laughs> it's okay we figured oh, it i'm out. gonna be talking about that later on too oh excellent okay <laughs> So our next comment here comes from Spinner's End. It says, I think one of the major points that was moved from book two to book six was Ginny. Yes, she is Ron's sister, but really, that's hardly motivation for Harry to put not only his life, the lives of his friends at risk. I think Chamber of Secrets would have been a great point at which to introduce Ginny as a much more prominent character. She and Harry could have built a friendship that would have given her more reason to show up in books three, four, five, and instead of dumping her into book six. And a follow-up from Luna Love Duck. <laughs> Very <laughs> interesting. It's a cute quack. Um, <laughs> another thing, <laughs> another thing I love that I think proves that Circle Theory was intentional. These really are books that are all about Ginny. 
she's talking about uh, Chamber and um, Half-Blood, obviously. Mm -hmm. Not just Ginny, but Harry's connection to her and the similar situations they go through together. Book two, Ginny misplaces her trust in a book that portrays her. Book six, Harry misplaces his trust in a book that portrays him. Ginny in Chamber is dealing with her feelings for Harry, and Harry in Half-Blood is dealing with his feelings for Ginny. I love the development of their relationship over the course of the series. I think that this arc and the years in between really gives their partnership a solid foundation, and it mirrors the way that feelings for friends can emerge over time based on shared experiences. Although I agree with Michael about all the Harry and Ginny moments, I smash my Thor cup and want another. (laughs) I think that this analysis of the ring structure makes it clear that JKR intended to have Ginny most prevalent in books two and six. Yay, nerdy analysis. I like that. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, there was an interesting point. I think it was brought up by our guest Jessica last week, but she said like, yeah, the natural thought uh, for a writer who's not planning um, you know, a seven book series out is if something doesn't make it into book two, you put it in book three. But there's so many things that went from two to six, um, you know, perhaps too many to be uh, a coincidence. All right. So our last comment here comes from Phoenix. It says, here's a provocative question on ring composition. Ooh, okay. Now, this is a big one. So put your uh, put your hats on, kids. Okay. I am a big fan of the ring composition theory, especially since I had been searching for this kind of connections even before I knew it had a fancy name. (laughs) But I sometimes wonder whether it is actually possible to determine that it is a real pattern and not a product of confirmation bias, i.e. a bunch of connections we notice because we already believe in them while ignoring any connections that don't fit the theory. Of course, I can see all those connections between books one and seven, two and six, and so on, and I love them. But... Aren't there connections between any two books? Is it easy to single out pairs and find connections between them? But what about all those connections between other pairs that we just never focus on? Just to pick a few random examples, the Chamber of Secrets is visited in books 2 and 7, not 2 and 6 or 1 and 7. We see Little Hangleton in books 4 and 6. Gilderoy Lockhart has an appearance in books 2 and 5. Nobody thinks of these connections as particularly interesting, and they aren't, but that's mainly because they don't fit the ring composition theory. If we want to show that ring composition is a real thing, wouldn't we have to show that these connections don't only exist, which they clearly do, but also that they significantly outnumber the connections between other pairs of books? Yeah, this is great. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you, you can't just state your point. You have, you have to, like, eliminate all other possible uh, examples. But I, I think I think to answer the first part of the question about, you know, can we prove this? No, I mean, not unless J.K. Rowling endorses ring theory and says this is what i was using um oh joe do that (laughs) she hasn't and i think she's smart not to but yeah of course she is uh but i i think that um that's that's the one way you're gonna get you know the real naysayers to to go away and the subscribers to i mean my mind was blown i've always tried to keep an open mind uh and i i don't I, i don't know enough about ring theory to really be like, oh, absolutely, and, and start informing my opinions about characters based on their predetermined arcs as a result of Ring Theory. Like, I don't do, I don't get that into it, but I will say every time I've heard of Ring Theory and, you know, every time we talk about it, it, it blows my mind, uh, some of these parallels that uh, can be drawn. But as Phoenix points out, there are those occasional, you know, other coincidences or other recurring recurrences that happen outside of the normal theory. And so... I don't know. I just think at some point for me, it's just good storytelling. Yeah. I think for ring theory to be effective, it needs to be complemented with details that do occur in just general world building. 
Um, so visiting Little Hangleton is not a very important thing. Gilderoy Lockhart, sorry, is not a very important thing. Um, but they are kind of details that flesh out the world and, and make it a real place. Um, Lockhart's reappearance in Five is quite a nice, funny interlude as well. Um, and it's kind of a, well, we're in a hospital, we need a bit of cheering up. Who do we know that's probably already here? Oh, it's Gilderoy Lockhart. Um, <laughs> Lockhart but, is the key to the whole series, Rosie. You do remember oh. <laughs> that from your read-throughs of Seven, right? Sure, <laughs> it's yeah. very significant that he's in Five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's the, the, the thing, is that you need to have details to link all books together, otherwise it wouldn't be a series. Um, but that doesn't discount the idea that there are some major plot points that are clearly paralleling each other. Um, in one and seven, two and six, and so on and so on. And maybe it's more like Olympic rings than it is than just rings oh. inside each other. They're, they're interlaced <laughs> a bit more, um, but they are still rings. I like that. I like that. I like the Olympic rings theory. I like that a lot. <laughs> I totally. Oh gosh! Think- As if you could make ring one. theory even grander. Like, oh yeah, it's Olympic the Olympic <laughs> ring theory. <laughs> now. No, it's brilliant because I mean the American edition books they they all have uh, the, kind of the later ones have like a a, a color theme. <laughs> so I mean I I'm already picturing it. It's perfect. Okay, so we're making that T-shirt then. <laughs> yep, it's perfect. Good. I love it. I subscribe to Olympic ring theory. That's right. <laughs> we need more. Just have them all. Maybe you make the maybe you make the Olympic rings, but then give them all stands like they're Quidditch hoops. That would be a cool shirt. That would be good. So there it is. That is our podcast question of the week responses from last week. There are tons more, like a hundred more. So go check them out at alohomora.mugglenet.com and, you know, join in the conversation because there's like 400 comments every week now. And it's amazing. we love to read them. So keep thank it coming. Keep it coming, please. Really. And also thank you, Michael, for rewording that question and making it sound vaguely cohesive <laughs> and comprehensible. <laughs> I kind oh, of just it, it sounded on. like you. It was very yeah. eloquent. Okay, good. Well, that's Michael. Michael was doing yeah, his best British <laughs> British impression. <laughs> Doesn't take much for Michael to do a British impression. And speaking of Michael's impressions, it's time for this week's chapter. How do you do, Tom? Chapter 13. I can make things move without touching them. Prove it. I can make bad things happen to people who annoy me. Tell the truth. I can make them hurt if I want to. The secret riddle. I knew I was different. I can speak to snakes. I knew I was special. They find me. Always. They whispered to me. I knew there was something. So to start this week's chapter discussion, let's give you a quick summary of what happens in this particular chapter. Following on from the traumatic incident on the unpatrolled path between Hogsmeade and Hogwarts, Katie Bell has been sent off to St Mungo's, thankfully still alive. Um, The whole school now knows of the attack, obviously, Um, But very few know that Katie was not actually the intended target. Among those that do know are Harry, Hermione and Ron, of course. Um, And Harry is still convinced that Malfoy was involved, um, but nobody else believes him. His one hope is that Dumbledore will actually listen. But he just kind of sweeps it under the rug um, and focuses instead on our venture off into another interlude into the past. So we're going to kind of skip over the Malfoy stuff at the beginning of this chapter because it's very brief um, and it's kind of just repeating the same old things, same old, same old, over again. Um, But we do have a very quick recap of what we've learned in our previous um, pensive incidents um, with with Dumbledore. And it's almost kind of like saying this backstory is important, don't forget it, we've only just learned it, but here it is again just in case. 
Um, and I thought it's quite interesting that Joe is is particularly picking out these points um, and making us know that we are learning something here. Um, and it's not just Harry that's learning, it's us that's learning as well. Um, and he gives, uh, and she gives us even this little bit of um, backstory about Merope in, um, in London and how she has been scammed out of the money that would have helped her to survive um, when uh, Caractacus Burke only gives £12, uh, was it £12? <sighs> no, it's £10. Um, ten well, galleons. Ten galleons. That's why I could get it wrong. Ten galleons, even. Sorry, muggle head on there rather than wizarding. I, I no, I <laughs> thought your book was different than mine. I was gonna be like, oh, oh, oh. No, but, it's definitely galleons. No. It's just you. Got it. Yeah. Okay. The ten galleons is like fifty pounds, more or less. Yeah, okay, but that okay. still wouldn't last long. No, no, that's, the not, that's not got. a lot of money at all. Not even back no. then. Oh, hang on. No, wait. What year would this have been? Like the nineteen twenties. The twenties. Yeah, so, um, it would have been quite a lot. Perhaps, yeah, fifty pounds in the nineteen twenties would have been. A- Although considering that he says that it was near priceless, it's not very much. No. Well, no, comparatively, no. But I mean, it, it wouldn't have been an insufficient amount. Um, no, but I don't think she's when when he um, bought the necklace from her. I'm I'm thinking that she's already not necessarily almost kind of approaching full term. So she's already in London. She's already yeah. um, about. Well, he says, he says she's far along, like pretty far along. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And we know how far that money gets her. It gets her to the door of an orphanage. Yeah. You know, and, and not much further. Yeah. yeah. Um, and especially considering she's had no kind of experience of almost looking after herself in the real world. She's only ever been inside that hovel with her family. Um, mm-hmm. She's got really no chance at all. Um, and it's a, a really nice thing that we actually see Harry kind of being furious and, and really standing up for the weak here, um, even if it is, you know, the mother of Tom Riddle. And um, and yeah, it's just Gosh, what, what does Dumbledore mean behind that? He's like, Harry, don't tell me you're def- like, are, are you feeling sorry yeah. for, for Voldemort's mother? He doesn't even call her Merope gone. He's, are you feeling sorry for Voldemort's mom? <laughs> like, no, no. He says, do you, could you possibly be feeling sorry for Lord Voldemort? He doesn't mention the mother. Oh, okay. No, well, still, are, could, you, could you, could you, Harry, could you be feeling sorry for, for Voldemort right now? He didn't, are he didn't... we? I, as a reader, am feeling bad for him. Yeah. Like the smallest possible Before amount, we meet but... him, yeah. A little bit before we meet him, yeah. This is yeah. the very first time, really, that Tom Riddle has been... Well, that Voldemort has been humanised for us. We had kind of Tom Riddle being humanised and then villainised in, in Chamber, but this one's kind of going in the opposite direction. This is where we're realising that, hang on a second, Voldemort didn't start off in a privileged lord of the manor kind of way. He He really was kind of abandoned at birth albeit not, um, probably not by choice. Um, but that's actually quite an interesting thing as well. The idea of, was it by choice? Um, we've got this little bit of discussion that Merope was turning her back on magic. Um, and if not, then she was so lovesick that she actually lost um, her, her power. And that's a mm. bit of a shout out to Tonks there as well. Um, and Kat, possibly that Ariana. That you wanted to? Possibly um, Dumbledore's sister as well. <clears throat> oh, okay. Dumbledore's oh right yeah no I I just wanted to point out just like you said that you know it this is uh I think kind of a hint of what Tonks is going through yeah so she's kind of losing her um metamorph- metamorphosis powers um mm-hmm. with her brunette hair and all of that kind of thing going on mm-hmm. um and it's I think it's interesting that we are seeing these mirrorings of characters in this book um and eventually obviously this will then lead to Teddy being Le- left at a very young oh. age as well 
Um, so let's hope that history is slightly kinder on him than... Well, we'd like on... to believe that far more caring family members are, are with him. Yes, and of course we do see him, you know, snogging our Victoria or whoever she is. Victoire. <laughs> yeah, Victoire. So we know that things go better for him. <laughs> Hang yeah, on, I mean... time out. Teddy is raised by one of the other cousins, right? Like... Um, well, we, Harry's his really godfather, clear. so... Yeah, we yeah, I, Andromeda raised him. Possibly. Like, sure. possible. I mean, I always assumed I always it would have been Andromeda, that... but with heavy Weasley influence and a heavy yeah. Harry influence as well. Like, Andromeda <laughs> yeah. doing the moral guiding and, and the Weasleys and Harry doing the you know, social guidance. Yeah, <laughs> I could see I could see it being a village thing with Teddy. Yeah, you know, because Harry is far too young to look after him on his own. Oh, yeah, there's no mm. way yeah, Harry at this would. Point, and also right. this stuff, like, obviously Harry... Surely would have gone with Hermione when she went to Australia to find her poor parents. So he he couldn't have been around parenting at that particular time. I hope I so. If not, then I think it makes sense yeah. for the grandmother to to raise. Well, but we're beginning back to Lord Voldemort real quickly. You know, I I hate to you, know, you can't overstate the obvious, but in this chapter we find out that Voldemort is born. We find out his birthday. We find out that he was in fact born. Right, this evil mm-hmm. wizard who is this great supervillain of this whole entire series was born. He was but an infant. And we know when it was New Year's Eve of you know that year, and it was in a very meager, uh, somber place. You and... just threw out my entire theory that he is just a figment of imagination. <laughs> no, I meant to say, <laughs> thanks, you know, man. He's uh, supposedly it uh, attained immortality, and I'm not sure if that's conditional as to like that you've always ex- always existed. Um, but uh, we know that he did not always exist, that he was born. This was a thing that just happened to, you know, in this orphanage. We now have the time and place, and it does work to humanize Voldemort more. That we, s- we know exactly where he started, and we know what he was doing before he was before he knew he was a wizard. Like, this whole chapter yeah. is great, because you get to see him find out. It's Harry's, you're a wizard, Harry, moment. Um, to zoom in on the, the idea of it being New Year's Eve as well, and, and New Year's Day. That idea of um, the year being reborn um, and Voldemort being born on that day and the kind of potential of life um, and also kind of thinking about his adult life and the idea that he, he so constantly wants to be reborn um, and, and have kind of that immortal life that will never need to kind of end and then begin again. It's very mm-hmm. interesting kind of parallels between Voldemort and, you know, the idea of the phoenix maybe and New Year's Eve. It's just, mm. yeah, New Year's a really interesting day for him to be born. That's brilliant. I'd never thought about the whole rebirth and the end of the year and all that. That's that's brilliant. Birthdays are important in these books. We know, you know, yes, they are. Harry's may be Joe's birthday, but there are some key events that happen on. But all the other ones Halloween, are super significant. And yeah, <laughs> right, we should pay right. attention to dates that we know about. Um, but to 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 kind of draw in that kind of discussion that we were having about um, Andromeda there. Um, the idea of kind of family care versus social care. Um, we've, we've got a lot of orphans in this book um, and in this book series. We've got Harry, obviously, who was raised by the Dursleys. We've got Teddy, who will eventually hopefully be raised by Andromeda or whoever actually does. I hope somebody him. raises him. I hope yeah. <laughs> somebody's there well, we for him. we know he does. It's, it's all yeah. right. Um, we've got, well, I guess we've kind of got Sirius, who is an orphan by choice rather than by necessity. Mm-hmm. Right um, at 16, definitely I think. Not in, yeah. Um, yep, definitely not part of his own real family. Um, Are we going to take a moment of silence for Sirius? No. Nope. Thank you, thank you so much, Slytherin. Thank you for suggesting that. 
He's my favourite. Oh, he's, he's my favourite, Melinda. Uh, he's my favourite. We still favorite. haven't got over that chapter last in, in that book. It was just I'm so grateful I wasn't the guest that week. I'd have been in bits. <laughs> it would have been awful. It was horrible. <laughs> but um, here we have an orphan who is what we perhaps consider a traditional um, orphan, however horrible that might be. Um, Eric and I were discussing just uh, before the show started the idea of a, a Dickensian orphan um, mm. to bring back to the Artful Dodger conversation that I was having last week. Um, and the idea of Oliver. Tom here is very much an Oliver. He is left um, in a, an orphanage that is perhaps underfunded. We don't really know what its situation is, but it's definitely not a happy place to be. Um, and there is an issue um, between the differences of family care and social care um, and the outcomes um, that Joe presents us in this book. Um, and I, I wanted to ask if this is perhaps the reason why Tom gets a very different experience um, of the introduction to the magical world than Harry does. Harry, as we know, gets hundreds and hundreds of letters um, and eventually manages to get um, Hagrid coming to visit. Um, but Tom here seems to be getting a professor visiting straight away. Um, do you guys think that that's the main reason that you know you wouldn't be able to simply take Tom out of an orphanage without anyone noticing and bringing him to Hogwarts? Um, so they would need a professor there to explain what's going on um, in whatever way is possible? Um, no, as I understood it, all uh, Muggleborns or people without magical connections did have a professor go to see them. Harry would have been okay. the exception in that case because Petunia was well aware of the magical world. So Hagrid expresses great shock that um, that Harry doesn't know his heritage or his family, or that he might even sure. potentially be magical in any kind of way. Like obviously, it's expected for Harry to know, given that he's Harry Potter. But yes. Um, I'm sure I read somewhere else that Muggleborns, all like McGonagall particularly, would go out and speak to the parents of Muggleborn children. So I think it was probably standardised, and Harry is the exception in this instance, because obviously Petunia has um, knowledge of the magical world, and it would have been expected for her to have raised Harry with that knowledge, which obviously they didn't. That yeah, that sounds accurate to me. I. I vaguely remember that. I do. Too. I do appreciate though all the um, means that Dumbledore takes to basically clear it and get Tom released to yeah. his custody, to Hogwarts custody. Um, the red tape, the paperwork, which he just what it's like blank piece of parchment. It's kind of like psychic paper that he shows <laughs> uh, to Mrs. Cole, and she's like, "Oh, that seems to be in order." Um, and he gets her drunk. So but many I, Doctor I, Who references today, Eric. It's good. There's so <laughs> I know, right? Um, I'm really preparing for Britain. It's good. <laughs> I'm really getting ready for it. I'm ready to come back. I hadn't seen any since the, or before the last time I was there. So anyway, um, psychic paper. It's totally that, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. uh, Dumbledore goes through great lengths to make sure that it's that it's above. Uh, what's the word or what's the phrase? Like I don't want to say above board, but it's it's on the table. Like it's on paper or people are on able the up and up on the up and up. Thank you. Um, Just official. Yeah, that, that works. Um, for. Tom Riddle to be released to him and he yeah. doesn't change the name of the school. Uh, the name of the I mean, no muggle would ever, you can't I, I'm not, I'm, maybe there's some mention of it somewhere to like satisfy any investigators that Hogwarts is I'm sure a, they'll have created a whole like a fake, it, yeah. it's like Xavier's it Institute where it's like it's still a well-known charter school but fewer people know that it's actually for mutants um, <laughs> maybe something like that 
But he uses the school's real name and he actually, you know, goes and approaches Mrs. Cole about this info. And I mean, there's like this delicacy, which I just, I love. I know we're all like hating on Dumbledore because of what he just did to Katie Bell or allowed to happen. Um, but the delicacy, he he's clearly like, he's prying information out of this woman. Um, mm-hmm. And she's she's giving it willingly, but because he's he's manipulating her into, into providing all of that feedback all of that insight and it's it's really interesting to see the master as it were at work and the master see, is not I've a doctor who wondered. reference but yeah <laughs> i've always wondered if there was veritaserum or something in that gin she seems oh. to be very very free in giving with all of this detail about this boy um, i'm not sure you need veritaserum if you've got gin a lot of really is well how did he know gin was her drink of choice let's play that game <laughs> Gin is quite a potent Have we seen Dumbledore drinking his own gin at some point? I, I'm oh, well, fire whiskey, I guess, rather than gin. Um, gin has a very is. distinct gin. Gin is I don't like gin. I do whiskey, but I don't do gin. <laughs> but I think um, didn't we see him give gin to the um, the Dursleys? Did we? No, it was mulled mead. Mulled mead. Okay. A little bit more. Dumbledore's basically a pusher. He just comes into people's lives and gets them <laughs> yeah, drunk. He's a pusher, <laughs> a sad drug pusher. Well, it's the rules of polite society, right? I, I think isn't there bread also, or am I making that up now? That bread you're making appears? that up. Sorry. Okay. All right. I'm also reading that part in Game of Thrones where the laws of hospitality apply. So there's bread and salt. <laughs> oh, yeah. um, but uh, but no, going back to so Dumbledore. Um, but like he he makes a lot of effort to make sure that this is on the up and up. And I, I think that's really important. Al- alternately, he could just uh, memory uh, charm them or confund yeah. them into thinking that Tom has really been there the whole time. Although he, that wouldn't, it may not have worked because Tom is such a notorious character there. Like they already know of like some of the bad deeds and the mysterious and strange happenings, but well, yeah. And, and he'd have to do that to everybody in the orphanage. This is easier. Yeah. <laughs> not just in the orphanage either, but possibly even, um, local government and stuff i mean they would have been regulated so it would have gone all the way into various government departments it would right we're not in uh we're not in dickens orphanages right we're in proper british or where like they keep records of each student right of each orphan we think so yeah this is this is more this is an orphanage not a not a workhouse yeah Um, yeah it's post world war one so it would have been yeah Mm -hmm. yeah different and the idea is that these boys would be up for adoption right um, yes. Like sort of fostered in, into families. Mm-hmm. So it needs to be on paper that he's going somewhere. I, I will say it's lucky, right? That, that Dumbledore is the one who comes and finds this boy who turns out to be Lord Voldemort. <laughs> like if, if McGonagall had come or, you know, any one of the other um, of Hogwarts's ambassadors, like why was it yes. Dumbledore? Well, we have to remember also that Dumbledore is, is just a professor at the moment. He's not the head teacher. Um, right. Mm-hmm. As we as we know from Chamber of Secrets, he he gets promoted. Um, actually, we know it from this book, don't we? That he gets promoted after all of the events of Chamber and all of that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder how so much that, of it may have been um, some kind of trying to make up for his own behaviour in the past. So he recognises from descriptions of this child um, a tendency towards megalomania, perhaps. So I wonder how much of it in the beginning was him trying to save Tom from himself. And how much Um, of that would have been, would he have known before he came there, though? Like, to make sure he was the one who got to to come. I mean, what I'm assuming, because he says... I mean, he he knew about the things in the wardrobe. He he knew enough to trick... Well, did he know about the things... 
did he know about the things in the wardrobe prior to coming, or was he playing a hunch based on the magic that he invokes to get those things to shake? Like, that, if I were Harry at the end of this pensive scene, I would have been like, so what magic did you use to make those things shake um, <laughs> that he shouldn't have had? Because that, that's the kind of question that I would want to ask, but I know See, this Harry's... is a problematic chapter in some ways, because Dumbledore seems to, uh, again, Dumbledore seems to have a lot of information that he's not actually telling us. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, mm-hmm. does he actually know about Marvolo at this point? Um, because he gets all of this history about Tom um, from from um, the, the the people that work at the orphanage, and he actually goes and talks to Tom as well about his parentage and about the name Tom and all that kind of stuff. We'll get to that in a minute. Um, but how much of his backstory does he already know? It's very unclear. Um, but he does seem to have this information, um, even though he's kind of still asking for it. Well, then he, he would know, wouldn't it. he? Because he's already been to the Clangleton. And um, seen Marope in 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 in, the, in that home situation. No, uh, no, that that's no. Happened. Present present moment, Dumbledore in the twenties hadn't been to see Marope. Marope was surely he, been dead. He would have to, to have um, done. Yeah, yeah, yeah he would have because Marope's dead. No, no, no. Remember, he procured that memory from Bob Ogden. No, they, yeah, that memory is not oh, his. See, That's Bob Ogden's memory, that, of course. That memory is Ogden's memory, yeah. Right. he la- After Voldemort became who he became, the Dumbledore took a personal back. interest. Dumbledore yeah. took a personal interest in people who may have met his parents. Um, but he already seems to have that personal interest in, in Tom by this point. Which but is, he, uh, all he right. says is that Tom's name was down, which we know is the quill that just oh, happens right. to write right. the name of whoever... You know, there. So d- d- there must have been some so tracking because. Yeah, maybe it's the intrigue then that this magical boy has appeared out of nowhere that no one seemed to knew, know any connection to. Um, yes. Yeah, I, yeah. I think that uh, I think this is the moment where that all starts for Dumbledore because Tom asks about his parents and mm-hmm. Dumbledore says, "I'm sorry, I really don't know," but I think after this meeting, Dumbledore finds out. Yeah. I'm betting that he 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 digs into Tom a little bit. Well, God, that would make I, sense. Especially because mm-hmm. he must recognize qualities in um, in Tom that he's seen in Gellert when when he was getting that. To know that him. should be that very boldness, that yeah yeah desire for yeah. Power. The, little Tom has all the makings of a sociopath. Oh, absolutely! Uh, he do- no, he does. It's you are not very wrong. it's very textbook. Very 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 Speaking textbook. Speaking of, what has this eleven year old boy been told that he's so afraid of being taken to the sanatorium? He's he's terrified that Dumbledore is in fact a doctor. Um, and not just a professor. Um, so what has he done? What has he faced um, that makes him think that he is going to be taken away um, and and told that he's crazy? I, I think he's probably been slapped around a bit. And, um, you know, uh, uh, it's so hard to say because he makes all these weird things happen, right? And doesn't mm-hmm. know how to do it. Can, so back, can... back in the 20s, you know, mm-hmm. what else would they do besides think that you're crazy? Burn the witch. Uh, yeah, can we exactly. have a, can we have a moment of silence for the bunny that got oh, bunny. hanged from the rafters? I mean, that's just <sighs> creepy. Like that's horror movie stuff. Well, that if you, if you look at stuff. if you look at what young serial killers or children who grew up to be serial killers, you know, there's there's a history uh, in behavioral sciences of you know torturing animals um, mm-hmm. and uh, certain uh, cases, serial killers have collected trophies from their victims. And there's just a number of other, I don't know, key giveaways, I think, that have been planted here that Dumbledore seems a little bit ignorant of. He, he, he really, truly does. I think I want him to investigate uh, Riddle after, you know, little Tom, certainly after this more, meeting, Stephen King. <laughs> more than he does. 
But I, it's, I think it's very clear. You have to believe. There, there's a suspension of disbelief, I think, throughout the Harry Potter books. You have to believe that Dumbledore wasn't as interested as he should have been. Because he still allows Voldemort to grow into the most evil wizard ever. And Harry asks him, impresses him this in this chapter. And he's like, no, I didn't know. But he should have. Those signs were there. And if Dumbledore, if Dumbledore really, like cared enough i think he still would have shadowed tom in diagon alley shadowed him everywhere else that he possibly could have because this boy is clearly like there's enough to be said about giving someone the benefit of the doubt but he has all the makings all of them uh to to be someone who is who's very evil okay i'm gonna defend dumbledore here something that i don't generally find the need (laughs) to do um and say that why is it his responsibility because he's the only one he ever feared (laughs) No, uh, uh-uh, uh, that's that's not. Okay. It's using the future to inform the present. I know it's flawed, but no, to inform the past. Yeah, I mean that's uh, uh, personally, I, I I I do think that, like I said, that this was the moment where Dumbledore became interested in Tom, and he found out more about him. How much could he actually find out at this point? I don't know. The orphanage knows very little about him. Tom right. is technically a nobody at yeah. this point. He's a an eleven year old boy who has exceptional powers. Um, what does that mean? Well, there's, there's, that, that's nothing. There's that's something, n- there's something here, which since we're talking about young riddle, Tom himself found out about his true, about his parents. He used, no, he the, didn't. Yes. He, he, cause he goes and kills his dad. He absolutely at some point, Eric, that's like four years from now within the, yeah, I'm saying, said, okay, I'm, I'm, tra- yeah. I'm trying to speak within the next, within the next five, four or five years, Voldemort is going to find out everything that uh, more than, than Dumbledore ever does. And he's going to go even further and find out things that you're not ever supposed to know, like how to develop Horcruxes. Tom is 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 a genius at at finding hidden uh, mysteries of the magical world of his own past. And I think Dumbledore would, you know, if he were really up to it, could could have found out all of that stuff. And there you're are right, clues he- in this chapter as well. Tom seems to have more control than regular magical children. Like Harry, we see kind of protecting himself and. And getting what is it uh, transported to the top of the roof after being mm-hmm. hid, hiding behind bins and all that kind of thing? But Tom mm-hmm. here has actual control over the things that he he can do. So is was, he actually incredibly magically gifted as well as as kind of just searching for power in the future? Is there a, a good kind of core talent here um, that is what eventually will turn him into the best, however bad that will be, the best mm-hmm. evil wizard there has ever been? I mean, obviously, the the Slytherin blood in him strengthens his magical powers, um, for sure. But um, obviously, he's he's talented, as Ollivander says. You know, he did great things, terrible but great. Yeah. And I mean, I'm still not ready to let go of the fact that it's not Dumbledore's responsibility. No, but Dumbledore does have some issues um, still. Within this chapter, there are there are moments where he could have done things that he definitely does not. I think I think this is all to do with Grindelwald. I really do. I think he sees Grindelwald in in young Tom, and it makes him less able to be the responsible adult he ought to be in this situation. I think he recognizes great genius and power in someone too young to know how to wield it properly, and I think he wants, in a way, to try and correct the mistakes of the past. Um, I think so you think sentimentality again? Um, yeah, I think I think he would have quite happily let Tom have the run of stuff. Um, thinking I don't that he think could so. Be the guiding hand to maybe rectify the mistakes of the past. 
No, because Ariana's dead already at this point. Yes? Yeah. So I think he's already turned to leave. I, I think if anything, um, I'm not sure he would let Tom just move forward with it. I just think that this is an 11-year-old kid with no history. If Dumbledore were to take the position that he needs to, you know, watch everybody closely who has extraordinary powers, you know how many kids that might be? Tom Riddle, <laughs> sure, like, he's an exceptional wizard. That doesn't mean he's the only one in Hogwarts that entire year that has, you know, some sort of control over his magical powers. Yeah. Well, look, you, um, you've, we know you've of said... other exceptional magic, so we've That's seen true, really exceptional and... charms and potions and... You've said that Dumbledore is not headmaster, which is true at that point. Mm -hmm. And right. um, any any teacher, any institute, like the educational institution, he's going to teachers talk to each other, right? And mm -hmm. and so there's going to be uh, a series of of eyes on Tom. Um, well, I mean, this is Dumbledore. And don't forget that Slughorn does take an interest in Tom as well, and he doesn't exactly. prevent anything bad from happening. So. Right, and he even knew about the Horcruxes. So yeah, really, if this really is on, if this, I mean, if on anybody, if it's on anybody, it's not. Well, I mean, I remember thinking when I first when I first read this, I thought I, I really loved Dumbledore because he gives uh, Tom the individuality and the freedom that he wants. Um, yeah. And this is something that it, it again we meant. I don't. I feel like we mentioned this before, but characters or sorry, adults. In these books, in all of these books, adults talk to kids like other adults. And yes. it's one of the best things you can do to yeah. a child is, 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 you know, treat them like give them the, give them the time uh, of discussion, give them the time of the day. Respect. Respect. Yeah. There, there is that. And so when, when uh, Tom Riddle, you know, says, I, I want to go on my own to, to Diagon Alley, he lets him do that. And it, 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 while in retrospect, you can say, oh, yeah, Dumbledore's totally careless. He should have seen this. And I know I just said something very similar to that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he is in a way also giving Tom that freedom. And he's still he's a great teacher in that he's laying down the rules, right? He's he's rubbing Tom's face in these trophies and saying that's not tolerated at Hogwarts. And that's kind of all you need to do almost Um but you know, that's not all he does. He does say this isn't tolerated in Hogwarts and all of that kind of thing. But he also burns the wardrobe and he also kind of <laughs> teases him about the name Tom. Like he, he has this, I think he says that he has a glint in his eye when he sees Tom kind of seething at the name Tom. I can't remember if that's actually true or if that's just Yeah, I I, no, I remember that, yeah. It's like Tom gets uncomfortable. I don't remember probably, the gleam yeah, in the eye. Yeah, it's not the gleam in the eye. But there, there's definitely a pointed comment about you don't like your name and that's not something that you would necessarily say to a kid that you've just met like it's a very telling moment um which may just be kind of us as readers knowing what then happens with his name and and joe as an author kind of really putting a pin in that moment that this will be a key well even in this even in this even in this chapter Dumbledore diffuses it and says it's just he doesn't like connection with anyone else in this world because he thinks he says yeah. he's got that sense of entitlement. Yeah. Um but he later but learns that Dumbledore just does all these things that you would think a teacher wouldn't normally do. Like you wouldn't See, let Tom go off and explore a magical world for the first time on his own. Well right, like Harry expects Dumbledore to refuse to use magic but then he sets the wardrobe yeah. fire. Like why why did why did he do that though? Is it because he admires this boy like he admired Gellert? Or what's why does Dumbledore set the wardrobe afire? Is it it's clearly like to impress this boy, right? Seems to be. It, I think it's, um, it's almost like a show of strength. So Tom has already yeah. done his whole tell the truth, the the power and the domination stuff. Mm -hmm. um, 
So by Dumbledore burning the wardrobe, it's kind of like, you think you're scary, but you don't know anything yet. Yeah, that that's what I was going to say. I think it's it's Dumbledore being like, whoa, slow your roll, kid. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you, you, you're awesome and you're powerful and you're cool, but you're 11. You're not me. Chill. We'll, <laughs> we'll get there. We'll get there, you know. Um, but I actually, it's just talking about the whole, um, well, Dumbledore, when he says you dislike the name Tom, mm-hmm. I don't find that odd. Really? No, because I, I um, this is super random, but I um, met a friend's daughter for the first time not long ago, and just in discussion or whatever, she was, you know, I forget exactly how it came up, but I basically had this conversation with her, and she's like, oh, I hate my name, and, 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 and like, I'd known her, I don't know, 20 minutes so I mean, maybe it's just me, but I don't hmm. I don't feel it out of place. We're personally. both people that have shortened our names, so we can't really talk. That's true. <laughs> that's true. We have. That's true. Although there mine was gi- mine was given to yeah, mine was given to me though. I didn't shorten it myself. Yeah, same. Oh, all right. But, what but is Rosie the lo- What is Rosie the short form of? Um, Rosalind. Oh, I Very love Rosalind. Oh <laughs> man, that's a great name. But I've been Rosie or Rose my entire life. So yeah, yeah, it's. There are a lot of us around, so I can see there why are. Tom would go. There are a lot of well, that, that's yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what Tom says, right? There are so many Toms. It's such it's so yeah, common. Tom. There's so many. But then Toms. why not just be Marvolo? There's, there's very few Marvolo. <laughs> oh boy, because yeah. that's horrid Are we name. A circus. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was odd. A circus reference, like the last thing you expect. Well, that's yeah, it. that's kind of a magical name. I am um, one of my favorite moments in this whole sequence of Dumbledore and Tom when around that hole is when um after Dumbledore tells him that he's a wizard and Tom has this moment. Um, the quote says, his legs were trembling. He stumbled forward and sat down in the bed again, staring at his hands, his head bowed as though in a prayer. And I just can picture that so vividly. Yeah. Like somebody getting the news of, you know, that a family member is alive or that, you know, something that they've been waiting for their entire life. And it's just, it that is a really powerful moment. Mm-hmm. to me and I, oh it gives me it's, chills it's every time affirming. i read it it says that all of his suspicions mm. of himself were true that he's not in fact crazy and imagining things mm-hmm. that there's the a same purpose as a, you're a wizard harry you're a what you're a wizard harry you're a what you're a wizard harry you're a what that moment yeah except um, tom's more like i knew it i knew i yeah. was special <laughs> yeah his his is more of a um life affirming as you were saying yeah. and, mm-hmm. and harry's is more of a what Say what? what? Yeah. Say, what? Say what? Yeah, exactly. So it just oh gives me chills every time I read it. It's just so powerful. It's very powerful, and it speaks to I think the amount of power in the room too, and kind of the um, how you could cut it with a knife. How it's very palpable in there right now. Yeah, the the tension and then the kind of relief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and exactly. it's, it's not a relief that the audience necessarily, that the readers necessarily feel, but it's a, definitely a relief for the character, which is quite Absolutely. interesting. That we we almost get more tension because of it, um, mm. which is, I think, a very hard thing to create. So, yeah. this is probably one of the first moments that Tom actually felt like himself. Mm. You know, one of the first moments that Tom felt that someone else confirmed who he was. Sure, perhaps. yeah, but that I makes think sense. His his love of power and the 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 things that he has collected um show that he has already kind of tiptoed into that persona um and, and is starting to to understand who he is for for good or for bad 
Um, yeah. Does, is it ever revealed? I mean, I guess it's you can you can guess, but what happened to the cave? What happened in the cave? You know, no. those two kids no. were never the same. Like yeah, that's what I was going to ask. So, never the um, same. Never <laughs> the same. <laughs> we know that he collects items of a very little kind of value, very little um, importance, but of very big personal significance. Um, and these are a yo-yo, a thimble, and a mouth organ, um, which I thought was quite interesting as a, a game, a craft item, and an art item. Um, whether that's kind of huh. my little my little arts arts in schools project. Let me let me talk about <laughs> let me talk briefly about American ignorance. Um, the okay. translators I've complained before. Starting oh, in book okay. five, Are they different? yeah, oh yeah. The starting in book five, the translators gave up. They stopped. Um, oh. They assumed anybody who wasn't intelligent enough to know the British terms just didn't deserve to be reading the books. I need <laughs> I need a definition of mouth organ. It's harmonica, oh, okay. right? Yeah, harmonica. We call it a harmonica, and and for the love of uh, mouth, like we call it a harmonica as well. But yeah, mouth organ is another word for it. Yeah, I didn't know that. And reading this, I was this was the most jarring thing in this chapter to not know a word, to not know what it what it meant. It should be you should inform like mouth organ. It makes sense. It's an but it's not. It's I mean, piano, an organ is a part of. Yeah. Or, an, or an organ is also a part of the body. So I don't know what it was like that. I, it's organ is in piano organ. Yeah. Poor. Yeah. Right. But yeah. except it's not. It's also not. I mean, it plays through winds. So I guess it's kind of like more like an organ. So does an organ like a, in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Church, okay. It makes. I hate it though. I absolutely. Ugh. Okay. So these three things for me always um, symbolized a family. Okay. So a yo-yo would it's be a child, a childish yeah. play thing. You know, an extracurricular thing. A thimble, mom. Mouth organ, maybe a dad's a oh, musician. Oh, gosh. Or a grandfather or something of that so nature. So he's taking it's- other kids' family away from them? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, he is. The- it's one thing that he's never had. I would have thought it's 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 things that bring joy. A yo-yo is something you play with. A thimble, you're using it to create something in, which is pastime. Mm-hmm. A mouth organ, you're creating music, which is, again, something to bring joy. So yeah. it's taking away these kids' hobbies. It's taking away the things that would bring some joy into this existence which has not so far been painted as a, a very pleasant one tom um, the human dementor yeah sucking yeah the joy exactly of the, he, he's the taking away the the nice things i can make them hurt if i want to it's a horrible thing to say yeah um, pretty bad that's crucio right <laughs> i mean much. yeah mm-hmm. he's found a way to do it without knowing that word yeah which... you know what he rocks at nonverbal. high five <laughs> tom riddle it's just if you're brooding enough, okay. if you sit by yourself in a room against the, with your head against the wall oh, long enough, you come that's up. That's all it takes is brooding. <laughs> I, well, it's certainly not schooling. They don't teach that. I mean, well, I guess they do. They're supposedly teaching nonverbal spells. Harry's just not learning any of it. I guess um, that's why Snape is so good at them. But yeah, <laughs> Snape and Snape and Voldemort definitely have that same. I'm alone and miserable, and they are more attuned, more in tune with the Wizarding world, like. Mm-hmm just in general about how magic works it's 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 a bit of a an odd coincidence there i think but i was wondering what um whether these items were connected to the cave incident or whether they are other related to other things we've obviously got the bunny incident as well that we were talking about just a second ago um (sighs) which would not necessarily again be connected to these items and Thankfully, he didn't keep like a, a, a lucky rabbit's foot or something from it. That would be horrible. Yeah, one of one oh, of the ears. Off the... That would have been if Dumbledore hadn't that picked up on that. Me. Then I would have um, been. On then your you're side, willing Eric. to jump in and be like, "Okay, Dumbledore." <laughs> yes, because then that means he would have cut the foot off the rabbit. So yes, <laughs> I'd he be, might I'd have be encouraged it to fall off. You know, he can encourage animals to oh, do just, things. No, okay. I'm not sure that's possible. Yeah. <laughs> but this is the end of the 
of the kind of discussion really about um about those items um but just to bring it back to that cave and we know that something bad went down in that cave and we know that those kids were never the same um and we obviously know that this cave later on is the cave that we we visit um where the the horcrux is hidden um, i mean something amazing had to happen in that cave right voldemort is so fond of that cave (laughs) that he puts the thing i mean it's yeah it's a secluded space full of in theory as well yeah which he put there presumably yeah so what what was already in this cave that is just i'm not sure there's already something in there i feel as though the cave the cave is probably the first place where tom did something he was proud of I think is that's what I right. Think. And also, it's, it's it's supposed to be quite inaccessible, isn't it? So getting them yes. there would have been quite the impressive act of magic. Um, right. And then opening the cave out into that place. For all we know, he could have pushed them in there and left them there for a couple of hours and stood on the other side of the wall listening to them scream. Yep, that's true. Mm. Like Exactly. It would be very classic Voldemort mm. to do that kind of thing. Horrific. I mean, mm-hmm. being locked inside a cave where no one else knows where you are in the mm. dark. Yeah. Of course, they wouldn't have been the same. And of course, he would have realized after that that no one could stand against him, really. Mm hmm. Okay. Sorry. Chills. No, I mean, it's what yeah, it is. Yeah, I, I don't think he would have done anything things. extraordinary. I think, like, the, the easiest and best way to ruin people is always to play on their fears. And as a human, you're afraid of being trapped and you're afraid of the dark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. he would have known that and it, I, I think it would have been incredibly easy for him to lock them inside it for a little while and then come yeah. back for them later which is interesting because that would be a, a very magical thing to do like that that door is a very magical door that he but must who would have ever believe himself. that this silly boy locked them inside yeah. a cave yeah <laughs> like no one would ever could believe do that. that not in a million years apart from yeah. people from the magical world and yet, odd things keep happening around Tom Riddle. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that one time he re- uh, disappeared from the ground, would be he was being chased, and then he reappeared on top of the kitchens. Remember yeah. that time? So we've had this whole um, trip down memory lane, and we've seen Tom um, wander off almost um, on into Diagon Alley in search of his magical fortune. Um, and he's a very independent boy, and he doesn't want any help, and he will do it his own way. And Dumbledore lets him. Um, but Dumbledore does not let Harry venture off on his own and he takes him back out of the pensive um, and gives him a quick recap of everything that we've just learned, just in case we've missed any important details. Um, and Harry actually does twig on his own um, that these objects are important. As he's leaving, he, he notices that the ring has gone from the table. Um, and we never really find out where Dumbledore's put it, do we? Um, we obviously see it again when it becomes part of the Hallows. I know um, where it is. Where is it, Cat? In the snitch. I think it's waiting for Harry. Not yet. Already? Yeah, why not? Well, he yeah. has to yeah, put it he in there before he dies. That's he true. had to hide it somewhere. Yeah, That's I think true. so. Right. That, so that plan sense. is already in play. The whole I open at the close. Oh, absolutely it is. You kidding me? Yeah, because if he already knows that he's, he knows he's going to die soon. Yeah. Like, it's it's coming. He's preparing. He's prepping. Oh, yeah, it's already in the snitch. It's hidden somewhere in the snitch. Oh, yeah. We totally. also don't see that snitch flying around Dumbledore's office, you know, like it's never it's never mentioned there. Like it I forget when it's mentioned that Dumbledore actually got that snitch is just in the end. Like after yeah. the, the will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. that Dumbledore had it all along. But it'd be funny just to see a snitch floating around in the background of one of these chapters. 
in his office. I mean, maybe there is one and we've missed it, completely yeah. overlooked it. There are a lot of flittering things in Dumbledore's office. Yeah, there it's are. probably in a box somewhere in one of his shelves. Yeah. Yep, probably. Oh, it's a shame. It would have been a nice nod to James to have it floating around and maybe have Dumbledore pluck it out of the air. Oh, that's cute. That's true. Adorable. That's cute. Mm-hmm. But then Harry would be like, why have you got a snitch flying around your office? It's Dumbledore. Do why it? a lot of things? <laughs> True. This yeah. was a gift from the Hollyhead Harpies. Yes. <laughs> that's Slughorn. Yeah. That's a Slughorn line, yeah. yeah. I, was just gonna say <laughs> I feel like you probably wouldn't question a lot of what Dumbledore did because the answer would that's just be true. so Maybe intense. Just like, like, no, I'm all right. I'm yeah, right there, are, there are far less earmuffs. Harry would get so distracted, though. Like, he would just be sitting there in the office trying to listen to Dumbledore and just watching the snitch <laughs> the fly around snitch. the room. <laughs> so the ring is gone, but Harry says, I expected the mouth organ or something <sighs> to be on the table. But as we know, the mouth organ was only ever a mouth organ. Sorry, Eric. It should be a harmonica. <laughs> Thank you. I'm vindicated. And that's the end of the chapter. Okay, so I guess it's time for the podcast question of the week. Woo! We we talked a li- we touched on this topic, the the question of the week, um, very briefly, kind of at the beginning of the episode. Um, but of course, it um is an ever going theme in these books and um. I think this is a good one. I think you guys will enjoy it. Um, it's about Marope. Marope? Marope? How do you guys say it? Marope. I say Marope. Marope? It's a difficult one. <laughs> it is a difficult one. Okay. So the question of the week is this. We learn in this chapter um, about Marope and the circumstances surrounding her demise and death. Dumbledore corrects Harry in his assumption that this is so different from Lily's death, stating that Lily did too have a choice to live, yet chose to die. Um, of course, they died for different reasons, but um, did either of these women truly have a choice? And if not, does that affect the outcome of their sacrifice? Um, does it affect the shadow of the lives that, you know, Harry and Lord Voldemort grew up under? And does it affect the opinions of their respective mothers? Um, there's a lot of similarities between the two deaths, and there's a lot of differences. And I'm really excited to hear what you guys um, think about this one. Definitely. So, um, if you have the app, there's like a 25 minute conversation that you'll get to hear while we formulate we this question. I don't know if it's 25 minutes, but we're working on the question, and we got into some very interesting thoughts. So we did. So yeah. um, I'm really excited to hear what you have to say. Leave your comments at alohamora.mugglenet.com or send us an audio boo. We we love getting those. Audio boom. Audio now. boom. Audio boom. Sorry. Now with 100 percent more M. <laughs> that's true all that remains is that we thank our wonderful guest so thank you very much Melinda for being on the show I hope you've enjoyed oh, it thank you so much for having me I've had the best time Good. <laughs> it was brilliant oh I Truly. mentioned earlier uh, do you want to talk any more about your book um, sure why not um, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a story about ladies with choices um, hey. to, uh, to segue hey. into that particular thing uh, one lady in particular she's much more of a Marope than um, a Lily in that she's very sad and very scared and very alone um, but what she learns throughout the course of her journey um, contains an entire kingdom Hey, It's a very very good book and I encourage you all to go and read it Thank you <laughs> And uh, well if you would like to be on the show just like Melinda was for us on this episode uh, please visit the Be On The Show page at alohomora.mugglenet.com you don't need any super fancy equipment. If you have some Apple headphones, that'll do, or just, you know, microphone and some way to hear the call while we're doing it. Check it all out. The list is on the website. 
And, and like, by the way, just put in there that, you know, we're not being sponsored by Apple, we promise. We're just going to be sponsored by Apple. Someone commented. Yeah. Yeah, someone commented on the main site recently. Is that is that an ad for Apple? No, no it's not. We're just, we, they're just useful. <laughs> yeah, and if everybody you have knows any other what, headphones with a microphone. They work too. Yeah, everybody knows what Apple headphones are. So yeah. that's why we use it. If you just want to keep in contact with us, you can find us on Twitter at LohamoraMN, Facebook.com slash Open the Dumbledore. Our Tumblr is MN Alohomora Podcast. Of course, our phone number is 206-GO-ALBUS. That's 206-462-5287. Audio boom. With an M at the end. Um, that's free. All you need is an internet connection and a microphone. You can record right at alohamora.mugglenet.com. There's a little green button in the right-hand menu. Click it. Keep your message under 60 seconds. It can be a thought, a question, a comment. Sing us a song. Tell us a poem. <laughs> anything you want. We love to hear them. Um, so send them in. Keep them coming, please. And thank you. We also have our store where we have our fabulous house shirts. Uh, we've got the Desk Pig, Mandrake Liberation Front, Minerva is My Homegirl, and many, many more. Hopefully we'll have the Olympic Ring t-shirt at some point. Um, <laughs> we're going to have, I think, um, Lupin Love. Lupin Love. There's, yeah, there's so many things in the works if we can ever actually get them if, onto a good design. Yeah, if any of you out there are, you know, like designers and they want to help, yeah, please, please send them in. <laughs> email us, please. <laughs> we need help. We, we, we can discuss things to the till the cows come home, but we cannot draw a cow to save our life. <laughs> uh, that is very true. Uh, and of course, the smartphone app. Uh, we mentioned just a moment ago that there's a really good reason to get it this week uh, for some of our other thoughts on Morobi. But uh, anyway, the smartphone app is available all over the Mogul world. And if you can't get it, you're magic. And that's because magic doesn't electronics don't work rosie did better last week just go listen to her thing <laughs> on the side of the pond and the other is what i used to say uh prices do vary for the smartphone app uh, seemingly worldwide on it you can get <laughs> yes like we used to say the first two uh hundred something episodes transcripts <laughs> bloopers alternate endings host vlogs and more on the smartphone app which is podcast box but find out more on uh at our website alohomartamagalata.com <laughs> <laughs> Dub dub dub. Alohomora. Oh wait, no, it's not even dub dub dub. It's a sub subcategory. Never mind. We right. have descended into madness, so it is definitely <laughs> time to sign off. I am Rosie Morris. I am Eric Skull. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 131 of Alohomora. Tell the truth and open the Dumbledore. It seems possible to me that J.K. Rowling could have considered putting even more about the founders in chamber as well, and then decided those details were sur- Someone say that word. Superfluous. Sir. Superfluous. Superfluous. <laughs> Superfluous. Fluous, like fluid. So, oh, Rosie's spelling Rosie, you're the best. I, there are just certain words that I can't ever say. <laughs> so, superfluous. Nope. Super flu. <laughs> flu, like flu powder. <laughs> Super flu us. Yes. Faster.
flew out. <laughs> I feel like a grade school child. <laughs> superfluous. Superfluous. Yeah, close enough. <laughs> close enough. <laughs> Thank you. Okay.